new series today called Reclaim, and, and uh, as you know, and as we experience every week, we live in a culture where the pace as well as the cares of life, they can take us away, they can distract us from uh, what's most important. So over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to explore three areas of life that uh, might uh, need to be taken back, reclaimed. And we're going to start today with romance. So whether you're married or not, or date, just dating, uh, romance plays a vital role in those relationships. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships. It has a lot to say about romance. And everything we talk about today can be applied to your, in the context of significant relationships. Now, for those of you who are married, you know that we started out dating. And uh, that's how we won the heart of our spouse. And you know, dating is like kind of like a dynamite. It's a little bit explosive. It's passionate. It's exciting. Everything is new when it comes to dating. You know, the way she walks, the way she talks. She's so cute. And when he walks in the room, I get goosebumps. He's such a hunk. There's nothing like her. I don't know how I lived without him for so long. She's the most amazing person. I, I've, how have I lived without her or him for so long? She is so amazing. But along the way, something happens. You know, and the excitement wears off, and we begin to ask ourselves, why don't he love me like he used to love me? Why doesn't she love me like she used to love me? And you know, before long, what once sizzled. You remember those days of early marriage and dating? It sizzled. But now it looks a little bit like this. That's not how you fold the towels. It doesn't matter how you fold a towel. It does matter how you fold a towel. If you want it to fit in the closet, you have to roll it. Oh my God, could you chew any louder? This goes on here. It takes two seconds. Well, then the next person who comes in will do it. That's not the point. Hey, did you throw away my leftovers? No. I could have Oh, you. What did you call me? Nothing. The toilet paper goes over. It's printed that way so you could see it. No, the toilet paper goes under so that the cats don't get at it. That makes no sense. What do you want to get for dinner? I don't really care. Then just pick something. You choose. Told you. Shut up. I don't see why I have to put the utensils face down. Because when they're sticking up like that, if someone trips and falls, they're going to impale themselves and die. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm not playing this game where I list every single thing and you shoot it all down. I'm not doing this again. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Oh my gosh, watch this. This is the best line. Did you watch this without me? You weren't home! Seriously, six more inches and it's in the sink. Well, then put it in six more inches. Anything will be fine. It's fine. food. Fine. All right. We're going to get pizza. Anything but pizza. What do you want to eat? That is Bill Paxton. It is Bill Pullman. Bill Paxton was in Aliens. That is Bill Paxton. That is him. Game over, man. That is that man right there. Why am I going to put him away? I'm wearing them tomorrow morning. I don't care if you're wearing them tomorrow morning. I don't want them just sitting by my side of the bed all night. Why do you do this? You squeeze from the bottom. The next person doesn't have to squeeze then. It's toothpaste. It's not like it's hard to squeeze it from a new area on the tube. 
Why are we fighting about this? Why are we fighting about this? I, why are we fighting about this? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made you make the decision. With that being said, I think your original call of pizza is fine. Just no pepperoni. What do you want on it then? Anything other than pepperoni. Oh I'm going to murder you, and when the pizza guy gets here, he's going to help me bury your body, and then we are going to get married. No, he won't, because he'll probably be like, yeah, I feel you, bro. Wow, so how many of you have experienced one of those disagreements? Yeah. Wow. How many of you put, how many of you people, how many of you, how many of you are over the top toilet papers? Yeah. 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 Uh, so the rest of you are under the... Yeah, well, you know what? When we got married, I was an under and Gabe was an over. You know what we do now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, we're going to do over this. That's what you want. <laughs> but anyway, you know, we've all experienced those, uh, those arguments, those little things. And, and, you know, we wonder what happened that we were so happy at one time and we never even considered all that that happens in our marriage. You know, marriage are, are the most important earthly relationships that we can have. So doesn't it stand to reason to you that uh, they can also be the most difficult relationship that we have is our marriage? You know, though, even good marriages from time to time need to be recharged. I mean, they need to, uh, they need to uh, be, uh, uh, the sizzle needs to be put back in uh, that uh, relationship. So let's start by doing a little evaluation. In your program today, everybody got a program. You have a little uh, evaluation there. It'd be cool if you kind of take that and probably take it on your own because I found that many times men don't have the same evaluation of their, um, their marriage, their relationship as women do. You know, we think, whoo, everything's good. Uh-uh. So kind of do it for yourself and just kind of evaluate your marriage and just see where, or even your relationship, where you might be. So where's your marriage today? Is it filled with romance, or is it routine, or is that, has it moved to the roommate stage? Now, when I talk about romance, I, I'm not talking about puppy love. I'm talking about a little bit of passion, and there's some sparkle in your eyes and in your words when you talk about your spouse. There's a connectedness that you have. You know that you're, you're connected. There's an intimacy uh, that you experience in your relationship. That's romance. Or is it more routine? Now, this, is, this isn't uh, the sizzle. This is the fizzle. It's stable, but there's no spark. It's okay, but it's not great. I mean, it could be worse. I mean, after all, our marriage is surviving, even though it's not thriving. Or has it gone to roommates? I mean, really, it's dead. You're just living together. It's flat. You love your spouse, but you've tried everything. You've done everything. You don't know what else to do, and so just mark on that uh, where you're at in your relationship today, in your romance today in your relationship. You see, God desires that your marriage would sizzle and, and that your love would grow, even grow and overflow your love for each other. So how do we reclaim the sizzle of romance? That's what I want us to discover today. Now, I need to start with a little disclaimer so you don't uh, this don't think I'm some kind of hypocrite or something because I'm not the most romantic guy I'd ever walked to the face of the earth, okay? And so when I talk about this message today, I'm kind of talking to help all of us that struggle in the area of romance. So there are three words 
that Jesus used to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelations. Of all places, to go to find a little bit of advice, a little bit of direction, guidance on how to rekindle the romance in our life. But Ephesians, in the book of, uh, of, Revel or the book of Revelations, uh, Jesus is talking to the church. Now, do you know what the, when the Bible refers to the church, do you know what the, uh, the church is referred to in the Bible? The bride of Christ. And so, listen to what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. A church that was going through the motions of devotions, of devotion, and the romance for God, though, had lost its sizzle. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Here, Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, I have this against you. The love you had at first is gone. Does that sound like a relationship that you might be in? The love you had at first is gone. Remember how far you have fallen. I mean, where you were at when you were dating and where you're at now, repent and change the way that says he, but it's uh, the way you think and act. Return to me and do what you did at first. And so we're going to look at three words uh, from that portion of Scripture that Jesus was speaking directly to the people who had drifted away from God. But it can also be used to reclaim the love and sizzle in your relationship. There are three words that will help us reclaim the romance in our relationship. The first word is remember. Now, the first thing Jesus says to the church that had lost his romance is, for God said, remember how far you have fallen. Remember how far you've fallen from the early days of love and romance. You know, think back to some of the most cherished memories that you have in your relationship because it can really help us reclaim our romantic feelings. You know, like, do you remember the, as you think back, do you remember the first time you saw her? Or the first time you saw him, boy, I remember the first time I saw Gay. I, I was down at the Kieseltown store. That's what it was called. It was called the Kieseltown store. It's closed down now. And all the guys, what we did then, we hung out. We hung out on the porch. And, I mean, I can remember the first time I saw Gay ride through Kieseltown. Wow. She came through Kieseltown in a mama's Monte Carlo. And she was looking mighty fine. I mean, I think about what Adam must have thought when after he'd been working with those sheep and cows and all that, and all of a sudden Eve appears. That's how I felt when I saw Gay driving up the road in that car that day. I mean, and I said to all the boys, I said, boys, y'all just leave her alone because she is mine. And I started creating this strategy in my mind of how in the world can I get her to go out with me? And so I said, bingo, her little sister was friends with my little sister. So I had me some, I had an inroad, and I, I, I can remember, you know, asking Joy, Gay's little sister, I said, Joy, you think your sister will go out with me? She said, sure, she'll go out with you. Little did I know that she went home and asked Gay, and Gay said, no, there's no way that she would go out with me. But Joy told me, came back and said, just call her up. And so I, ding, 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 I called her up, and, and I said, uh, you know, I said, Gay, uh, you don't know me maybe, but I live down the street. My name's Buddy. She said, yeah, I know who you are. And I said, I'd like for us to go out on a date this weekend. She said, mm, let me think about it. That's the worst words that you could hear in your life. On the, you know, because it takes a lot of nerve to call somebody up. And, and so she said, I'll get back to you on that. I thought, well, this is history. Well, sure enough, I think she must have got that image of me in her mind. <laughs> no, what really happened is she didn't have anything else better to do. 
And so she called me back and said, okay, I'll go out with you tonight. And do you remember that date, the first date you had with your spouse? Woo, I'll remember. Gay came out to the car, bouncing like a, woo. She had on this red and white checkered pantsuit. Man, that was, ow, man, I can still see it. She, <laughs> she was looking fine. I mean, she is, I mean, she was beautiful then, and she is beautiful now, but man, she was especially, and we went to Martin's Garage. Now, if you've ever been there, now that's not like the kind of garage you think about. It's the kind of garage that you go to that used to be a garage, and they turned it into a place where you go and dance. We called it a, you know, a bar, but you know. <laughs> and <laughs> so we went there, and man, we had the greatest time. I remember that uh, that I had not, hadn't always been honest with her about my age because I was afraid she wouldn't go out with me because I'm a much younger man than she is. And, <laughs> and as you go through the door, they would you'd get an X on your hand for the kind of fuel that you could intake. Uh, and, and so they put the X on this hand, and that's the 18 and 21 and under hand. And so I took my hand real quick and smudged it over. But we had a great date that night, and and, uh, and I can, you know, I can still remember that like it just happened uh, yesterday, you know. Do, do you remember the, the first time you held hands? I mean, think about that, man. Your hands are a little bit sweaty and you grab hold of that, whoo, that skin's so soft hand. And, uh, and, and, you know, do you remember when you had that first kiss? Or the, or the first time you said, I love you? You know, that's not the big deal, but you said it back. Oh, my goodness, you think the, this is it. Um, every, you know. Woo! I mean, and it, you know, uh, do, do you remember how much you, fun you had back when you were dating? I mean, Gay and I had fun. I mean, we had some great times together. Actually, we got married because we had fun together. Now, that's a real basis for a relationship. You know, do, do you remember your wedding day? I, re, I remember on Monday, uh, this particular Monday in March, Gay called me up and I was at work and she said, hey, let's get married this weekend. I said, well, let me check my calendar. <laughs> well, it didn't take me long. Oh, somebody called me. Uh, <laughs> it didn't take me long to say, yep, let's get married this Friday. I mean, really. And so uh, I said, I'll find a preacher to get, that'll marry us. Well, I called the first preacher up, and he said, no, I'm not marrying you guys. You're not ready to get married. And so I said, well, I'll find one. I'll find somebody that'll marry us. And I was working at uh, uh, this place that I worked at, and this guy, uh, Johnny King. I said, Johnny, I need a preacher to marry Gay and I on Friday. He said, well, my brother's a preacher. He'll marry you. And he said, he called him up and he said, sure, I'll marry him. They just come a little early. We'll do some premarital counseling. And we drove down to Elkton, Virginia. You ever been to Elkton, Virginia? Woo, that's quite the place. We went to this, the Elkton Free Will Baptist Church. And the pastor took us in a little back room and set us in these little Sunday school chairs. Remember those little wooden Sunday school chairs? And he gave us about five minutes of premarital counseling. And I just looked out there and saw a teenager, don't do this, okay? Don't do this way of getting married. But I remember that wedding day, that Friday evening, we got married, and, and the honeymoon. You remember that honeymoon and how much fun it was? I mean, we went down to Myrtle Beach and got sunburned so bad we couldn't come out of the room. We didn't want to come out of the room because that's when Jaws first came out. <laughs> we definitely weren't going no swimming. <laughs> so we just got sunburned. Remember when you, when you had your first child? Remember that? Man, I... I'll never forget that first child, Jody being born, and wow, it was just incredible. Bought our first house, you know, we, my dad came to me, we were living in a house trailer, my dad came to me and he said, I found you and Gay a house. My dad's a redneck. He said, it, it, 
he said, it's right over the hill from where you live. And we, so we went over there, and it was a four-room house. He used to always say four-bedroom. It was a four-room house on five acres of land. The yard was about that tall. looked like nobody lived in it forever. But the problem with it, it had a little Johnny house outside. It didn't have a bathroom in it. And my precious wife said, I am not moving into any house without a bathroom in it. And my dad said, well, we'll solve that. You know, we'll put a bathroom in. So we stuck a bathroom in the corner of the bedroom. It was a little house. But, man, I remember moving into that house. Wow, we had our first house. And then we had our first grandchild. I'm telling you, there's nothing like your first grandchild. No matter how much trouble your teenager gives you, don't kill them. Because you're going to get a grandchild one day. And we, I, I was down in Richmond, I was doing a church thing, and I was uh, rooming with another guy and, uh, at the Holiday Inn. I got this ding-a-ling phone call in the middle of the night, and they said, your grandson's going to be born in a few minutes. And I, and I jumped up, and I told Randy, I said, Randy, I'm headed home, I'm going to have my first grandchild, I'll never forget, and they handed that little precious Christian to me in my arms, and whoo, it still brings tears to my eyes. You know, he's a sophomore in college, matter of fact, that's who just called me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you just, uh, it, it, and when I look back at all that, it makes me happy. But it makes me sad, too, because I realize how fast all that turned into just a really bad mess. Just turned into a really bad experience for Gay and for Jody and I. And, you know, but there's something about having this shared uh, history together that, that can bind you together and it can help reclaim the romance. You know, so I just ask you to think about remembering it. Think about, talk about it with your spouse. Look at those old pictures, man. Get those old pictures out and just make a timeline. And, and look at the smiles on your face. And, or if you're not that old, get your cell phone out. Look at all the pictures on there. <laughs> but, you know, you just have to, and then think about, look how far, remember how far you've fallen from those days. You know, some of you might think, be thinking, buddy, you know what? We've fallen so far, there is no possible way. There is no hope for our marriage. There's no way that we can reclaim the romance of the past. And I say to you, I understand that. Marriage can, is the most painful relationship we have. But at least we can give it a shot. Can't we, can't, can we just take a shot? No matter if you've been married once or twice or this is your third marriage or you're in a relationship. You know, you can give it a shot and you can believe that the Lord can help you reclaim that. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, humanly speaking, your relationship might be in a place where, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But here's what I want you to remember. In any situation you're in today, with God, all things, everything is possible. There is nothing impossible with God. Your relationship may be in an impossible place, but I can tell you with God, it is possible. So the first word I want you to remember is remember. The second word that Jesus said to the church, and a word that the bride of Christ, and a word that can help us in reclaiming the romance, is repent. The Bible says repent and change the way you think and act. In other words, that's where that scripture ends. I'd had that in there and sent it, and that's not. Uh, but repent of your own stuff. Repent of your own stuff. You, you know, the, in other words, we have our own stuff. And often what we do in relationships is we try to get the other person to change. You, you know, we try to, we try to uh, get the other person uh, to change the way they are, and if they would just change, we'd be better. It reminds me of the young lady who, who after learning that her husband-to-be her husband 
didn't believe like she believed, she went to her mama and she says, Mom, what should I do? I can't change his thinking. He says he doesn't believe in hell. And the mother said, Honey, that's all right. You marry him and both of us will make him believe in hell. <laughs> you know, but really, so, so many times in my office, I, I do uh, premarital counseling with uh, everyone I marry just about every time I do premarital counseling, and we'll come up against those bumps. Now, not always, but 99% of the time, we'll come up to those places where that person says, this is who I am, and I most likely won't change. And the other person, Emily, will say to me, oh, after we get married, they'll change. They never change. Maybe. They can change. With God, it's possible. But there's things, and I'll say to that person, now you have a choice today. She or he has clearly said, this is who I am. And we somehow got this thought in our mind, if I marry this dude or do this, if I marry them, then they will change. They will change. They won't change. You see, and I say to that person, when you're in this marriage and you say, I don't like this about you, you got to remember, you decided to marry that person and you knew that about them. I tell you, it happens every, just about every, not every, but just about every premarital counseling. And I got to tell you, 50% of the time, sorry about spitting there a little bit. Paul's usually there to spit on him, don't matter. 50% of the time they'll come back and say, you know what, they, and I'll say, didn't you remember making a commitment that you were going to marry them anyway? And so we have this sense that we can change somebody. i got to keep moving. They will be here tomorrow evening. We don't have a Redskin game day. I don't care about any other players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get done. But, you know, how, I, you know, some of you came today with your spouse thinking, I'm going to say something that will get them to change. Or some of you probably already elbowed your spouse and said, see, I told you. <laughs> some of you are going to leave. You're going to go, oh, but you know, I've, been, I've learned in 39 years of marriage, that's a long time, that growing marriages consist of two growing people. A relationship is only good, as good as both people, as two people that make it up. And nothing, I can tell you, nothing has helped our relationship, Gay and I. Now, we have had a bumpy, bumpy relationship. I've told you that, you know that. And if you're looking for a pastor who didn't have a bumpy relationship, probably the guy out at the Baptist church is a lot much better than we've been. But... We've had a bumpy relationship. But I can tell you what's helped us more than anything is that Gay and I have been willing individually to look at our own stuff. I mean, we've looked at our own flaws. I mean, I've been in counseling for seven years. I'm a slow learner. And, and he has to remind me, you know, but I, I, I've been willing to look at my own stuff. She's been looking, willing to look at her own flaws, our own weaknesses, our own baggage. We all bring baggage into a relationship. No matter how good that relationship is, you bring some baggage from your past. You either bring baggage from the past of your, of your childhood or your teenage years or your first marriage. You bring that into the next marriage. We all bring baggage. And you have to own your own baggage. You have to claim it. You know, you go to the airport and they'll say, make sure you, make sure you claim your baggage. A lot of it looks alike. You have to claim your own baggage. You have to deal with your own issues. And as you learn, as I've learned, you see, here's what I had to do. 
I responded in a way that I didn't really understand why. We'd get in these tight situations. I had an automatic response button. I would always respond in a certain way. And I had to get help for a person to help me see what it was in me that made me respond in the way I always responded that always caused a conflict. And, you know, my, my, well, if you wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. That's not true. I have an automatic response built in that I had to dig in and figure out why in a situation, even with not just in my marriage, but in my relationships in church, with my relationships. And I, have to, I had to have help to discover why I do what I do in those certain situations. And, and I, I don't think I've got it completely worked out yet. But, but as I have began to deal with my own issues then my ability to love and my ability to forgive and my ability to be honest and my ability to solve problems has begun to grow. And that has changed everything in my relationship. It has changed everything in my relationship. Because I've taken the emphasis off of, Gabe, if you'll do this, if you just change, if you wouldn't talk that way, if you wouldn't do this way, if you wouldn't respond this way, if you wouldn't do this way, I wouldn't do that. That's a bunch of bull. I'm responsible for how I respond. I'm totally responsible. And you're responsible for how you respond in any situation. I just saved y'all a ton of money. Seven years, $50 a week. <laughs> Think about that one a little bit. Well, I, didn't, I haven't been every week, but you know what I mean. I don't know. If insurance keeps working, I might have to quit. <laughs> but anyway. What we do individually really matters to relationship. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the word repent. Oh, goodness. Y'all talk too much. Uh, the word repent. Uh, and, and when you talk about the word repent, the word repent really literally means to make an about face. In other words, you're going in this direction. And you make an about face and you go in the opposite direction. In marriage and in relationships, we're going in a direction that's destroying our relationship. And what we decide to do is I'm going in the wrong direction. So now what I've got to do? I've got to turn and go in a whole new direction. That's what repent means. It means that the biblical uh, definition of repent is to turn and go in a whole new uh, direction. What that means to me in this, it's owning up to the fact that I... I'm going in the wrong direction, and I need to change. It's owning my own stuff, and that's hard. It's really hard for me. I don't know about you, but, you know, guys, I have a lot of people in my office, men and women come to my office, and, and I, I know it's really hard for me to own my own stuff, to admit that I, it's me that stands in need, you know, of, of help. And, and to change. And I've and I, I found it. Now, I don't like to stereotype, but I found for men it is hard for us. You know, here's what I found about me. I found about me is in my relationship with gay, I, I, don't, like to, I don't like to admit that I messed up. Because all my life I've been trying to please people. Started way young. And the most significant person in my life and the person I love dearly is my wife gay. And I don't want to, I don't want her to look at me and see this flaw in me. I don't want her to see that. And so when she would come to me and she would say this or that to me, I would say, no, that's not true. And I'd deny it. And I'd turn it around, try to turn it around on her and blame her. 
that she's this way and that's why I'm that way. And, and the, the reality is I had to admit, I had to own my own stuff, that there's something deep within me that needed God's healing. You know, it's easy to go, it's easy for me to go to God and say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry. And, and he does forgive me, thank God. But there's something that drove me, that's something inside of me that was, drove me, was driving me. And until I was able to open that up to the blood of Jesus Christ and saying, God, I need healing in this deep place in my life, there was no change. You understand what I'm saying? Gay could have changed a thousand times, and she did. All of her life tried. Anyway, why am I on all that? I don't want to be that honest. It's hard for me to change, and that's what repentance is. It's saying I'm going, I'm going to own my own stuff, and I'm going to stop accusing, and I'm going to stop blaming, and I'm going to start owning what I am doing wrong in this relationship. You see, the famous pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote from a Nazi prison camp. He wrote some advice one time to a young couple getting ready to get married. He said to them, my advice to you is this. Don't find fault with each other. You know, you, you just hate that, don't you? Somebody's always picking at you. It's like picking a scab off of something. Get sore all again. But don't find fault with each other, but accept each other as you are. And forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. Forgive everybody every day. Give, forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. I don't know what you need to repent for. I, I, you know, I, it could be your stubbornness. It could be your, you know, your selfishness. It could be your drive to succeed. It could be your, your, your control freak. It could be that you've had an affair or you've abused. I don't know what. But if there's something in your life that you need to repent from, whatever it is that keeps you from doing the things you know that you ought to do to reclaim the romance in your relationship. Repent, do about face. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and own your own stuff. And then finally, return. Return to me and do what you did at first. Now, return to the basics. Now, I've been married for 39 years, but I'm not the most romantic guy alive. I'm sure that's why Gay said that last week that she couldn't wait to hear what I had to say about romance. I didn't know what I was going to say either. I said, you have really gotten yourself into a mess. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to try to give you a few basic things that may help us, us, reclaim the romance if it's dead and dying in your relationship. Here's number one. Start dating again. Just start dating again. That's where it all started. That's where you had fun. That's where, you know, you talked. You did all. So get off the couch and go out at least once a week or so. Someone said that we need to trade in our recliners for a little romance. You know, we need to get out. It, it doesn't have to be an expensive date. You say, well, I don't have any money. Well, just do something simple. Pack a lunch. And go out to the park, go down to Starbucks together, or come over to Rubicon, put the kids to bed early, and play a game. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about board games or something. <laughs> <laughs> or revisit the things you did while you were dating, like going to a movie, the theater, or a nice relaxing dinner for two. I saw a couple that goes to our church, put on there last night, hey, the guy said, I'm looking for a, a, somebody to babysit so I can take out my bride for a beautiful dinner. Go test drive a car together. Huh? Well, that's what Gay and I used to do. We were so poor that, that I mean, we were poor, but we always, we, somebody used to say, now this is just something that you, somebody used to say. They used to say I had a, I had a, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> anyway, I have an expensive appetite, okay? And we wanted a Corvette. And so what we'd do at lunchtime is we, we'd get off work and we'd meet for lunch and we'd go drive Corvettes. If we saw a 
a car lot with a new Corvette, we'd be right over there. And we say, well, we're interested. We walk around like big dogs, kick the tires, <laughs> and, and, and say, can we test drive it? Well, back then, that was easy to test drive. And they say, sure. So every time we go out to lunch, we, and we bring that thing back and park it and say, nah, we're not interested. <laughs> and we do it again. So we're up in Ohio. Gay wanted to go to Ohio this week. We did. The, we have a, she has an aunt there that we both dearly love, and we wanted to see her, and and because she's 90 and she's failing in health, and Gay wanted to spend time with her. We had a free day on, uh, we got there on Monday, with, so we had a free day on Wednesday, flying home early Thursday morning, and, and uh, there goes a the spider. And um, watch out, don't get you. All right. Now you're in trouble. Somebody's going to turn you in. So anyway, I said, you remember when we used to go try out cars? Those Corvettes, and she said, yeah. I said, that was so much fun, and we laughed about it, and I said, you want to go try out a car today, you know, and uh, it's a beautiful day. Let's go try out a convertible. And so I said, let's go try out a convertible BMW. Yeah. So I said, I know where a dealer's at. So we flew down the road. We got to the dealer. He had two of them sitting there, and they were nice. And, you know, and uh, the guy never did offer us to take it for a test drive. You know, where I'm acting as big as I can. And like I got money, I'm putting my hand in my wallet, you know, do whatever. <laughs> He never offered us a test drive. So I said, I got on Google, and I said, oh, here's another one. We went back up the road another 12 miles, and we rolled into this big dealership, and there sat this beauty. 2011 convertible, the top down, you know, two suckers driving in. And, you know, we looked at that thing, walked around it. Nobody came out. And I thought, wow, don't they really want to sell the car? I didn't want to buy it. but then, Anyway, finally this lady came out, and, and uh, uh, we, uh, she said, you want to take it a test drive? We said, yeah. Yeah, we want to take a test drive. And, man, we had the best time riding that thing. And we brought her back into the parking lot. You know, you have to go through what you got to go through. We almost bought that darn thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, thank God we did. I mean, we were planning, how can we get home? We got airline tickets. We got, <laughs> but anyway. But, you know, I, I'm just saying how much excitement that created. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like doing something a little mischievous, you know? And uh, I remember Gay just reminded how we used to sneak in hotels and go to the swimming pool, you know? <laughs> go swimming, you're not supposed to be there, but... I can remember one night we snuck in this apartment place, and y'all going to leave the church, I know. But we, we were almost skinny dipping, but we weren't, okay? And we, I remember somebody was coming. And we got down as close as we could to the side, stuck, got in the water, stuck our nose up so nobody would see us. But anyway, you know, it's all fun. But get creative and go out on a date. You see, it's easy to get stuck in a rut, isn't it? I mean, we get up in the morning, we eat a little breakfast, we go to work, come home, eat a little dinner, get in the recliner, fall asleep, you know, and we come home, we wake up, go to work, uh, eat a little breakfast, go to work, come home, eat a little dinner, drop in the recliner, fall asleep, wake up the next morning. Do the same thing over and over and over, and then Saturday comes, and we got soccer practice and 10 baseball games, and, you know, we got this to do, and then here comes Sunday, the day of Sabbath, day of rest, and we think, oh, my gosh, i got to mow the yard, i got to clean the house, got to do the garage, got to get the car, and we get stuck in a rut, and there's no fun in our life. So, men, you need to make a commitment today to plan a date, because that's what you did then. Call her up on the phone next week and say, baby girl, we're going on a date, and then protect it. Okay, protect that night and uh, build your relationship on dating. Next, start talking to each other again. Work on your communication. You know, when you were dating, you talked all the time, didn't you? 
I mean, you couldn't shut up. You talked about how you really felt about the other person. You had great conversations, vulnerable conversations. You told things you never told anybody else. You had deep conversations about each other's life. But now, as the truth be known, there's a little talking going on. You might talk about the kids. You might talk about the football game. If you're somebody, if you're some other fan. You, you, you kind of you got in a rut of not talking about anything that really matters. As a result, you're, going, you're growing further and further apart. They say that talking is one of the most intimate things you can do in your relationship. And I know what you're thinking, men. Well, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> you know, they say that women have 30,000 words a day and men have 15,000. And so the time the man gets home from work, he's had his 15,000. <laughs> and the woman still has 15,000. And so what do you talk about? Well, you know, talk about how your day was. You know, talk about what really matters to you. Talk about the little things. Talk about uh, things you're experiencing, your feelings, your hurts, your pains, your joys. Just talk. Finally, work on your spiritual connection. And you might be here or listening online and you say, well, you know what, I have no spiritual connection. But I can tell you, if you had a Christian wedding and you had a pastor and you repeated your vows to each other and your vows before God, you had a spiritual connection that day. You know, I did a beautiful wedding here yesterday. Young couple, in love, at least a day. And I mean, really, it, it was a beautiful wedding, beautiful moment. You could sense the presence of the Lord. They had a spiritual connection yesterday. And we, we have that spiritual connection that day. You know, God does something, a mystery. The two become one. And, and, and we need to get back to that spiritual connection of holding hands. And, and they stood right here. They stood right here. And, and they looked into each other's eyes, and the tears, the tears just rolled down their cheeks. It was a beautiful moment. And he said to her, I love you. And she said, I love you. You know, it's just a connection. And they held hands, and they looked into each other's eyes. And, and we need to get back to that spiritual connection. If you don't remember anything else, I say try to remember this. The, the, this one is what wins or loses ballgames. You see, Jesus said to the bride, the church, he said, the love you had at first is gone. Now, the, the emphasis in that verse is not on the word love, but on the word first. Jesus is, not, Jesus is saying, you've lost your love of first importance. He's saying, if the relationships in your life are going to work, you got to love me first. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And I think where relationships get into trouble is that we think that 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 we, we expect this unconditional, unfailing love from another human being. That's, that's setting your relationship up for disaster. If you think your husband or your wife can love you unconditionally and with an unfailing love, that, that's setting your relationship up for disaster. The truth is, you can only find unconditional, unfailing love in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only one place to find unfailing, unconditional love, and that's in a relationship with Christ. Now, I learned this little illustration for Gay, who's probably taught me more about relationships because I've been forced to learn, but more than that, just help me than anyone else. I usually draw this little illustration with every couple, nearly every couple that I've done premarital counseling with. Not everyone, that would be wrong. But I've used this little, I get a little scrap of paper out. And uh, Katie, this is for you, because I didn't do it to you the other day. So this is for you. Okay, you, you got the husband and the wife. 
Oh, and that's relationship right there. Now, in every marriage, in every relationship, there's something at the top of that relationship that you have decided, one or both of you decide, this is the most important thing in my relationship. And we put that at the top, okay? You know, um, we, we just have these things that we have decided as a couple. You know, for you, it might be your career. So at the top of your triangle, the top of your life, your marriage is our career. We're going to, our career is the most important thing we got. And so that's the top of your life. Some of you put your education. And you know, your education is, boom, there it is. It's at the top of your life. It's the most important thing in your life. It could be your kids. You know, what's wrong with that? Well, it could be your kids. You say, you know what? My kids are the most important thing in my life. And I'm going to do everything I can to please my kids. I'm going to take care of my kids. They're going to be the most important thing in my life. Or it could be your spouse. You know, you can put your spouse up there and say, you know what, we're going to work on our marriage and our marriage and our relationship is going to be the most important thing in our life. And we're going to do everything we can to enhance that uh, relationship with my spouse. You know, it could be an addiction. It could be anything in your life that it could be sports. You know, you could put sports up there at the top of your life and say, you know what, we're into sports. Our kids are into sports and that's what's most important in our life. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying we all have something that we put as most importance in our life. First. This is first in our life. This is first. The first importance. Is that making sense? Okay. I keep saying things over because it doesn't make sense sometimes. So, some things will be at the top of your life. Now, if you look at the second triangle here, you see that, uh, that God must be at the top. If we're going to have an intimate, close relationship, if we want to reclaim the romance in our life, I, I can just say this. You know, uh, God must be at the top of your relationship. If you're going to have a romantic relationship, if you're going to have a, a growing and loving relationship, you're going to have to have God at the top of that relationship. That's what I believe. Now, now here's the, you look at the third triangle here. When a, when a husband grows in his relationship with the Lord and the wife grows in her relationship with the Lord, look what happens. What happens? Closer to God and closer to one another. It says you grow, you look at the triangle, and when you get to the top of that triangle where you, the husband is loving the Lord God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the wife is loving God with all of her heart, soul, and strength, and you're at the top of that triangle, that is a sweet, sweet place to be. You know what I mean? That's where it works. That's the way God meant it to be, where he is the top most important thing in our life, and then beyond that is our relationship. Love the Lord God. Don't love your wife or your kids or your sport or your education or your career. It says love the Lord God with all of your heart. And as you grow together, you get closer and closer, and you meet at the top. I'm telling you, as a husband who has messed up and failed more than most, a relationship that's been just absolutely hotbed many times. This is the only reason, the only reason that Gay and I are still married today. I mean, if, if, we, would have, if we would have not made a determination in our life that we were going to go back, Gay wouldn't have made a determination in our life, we're going back to church. If I wouldn't have come to know Jesus Christ, if I wouldn't have made a determination that he was going to be first in my life, I was going to give up my career, I was going to give up everything to go into ministry and be all that God wanted me to be, I can tell you today that we would be divorced. I'd probably been married five or six times, to be honest with you, maybe not that many times, but 
It's the only way. I, tell that, I told that young couple yesterday, if you guys continue to love Jesus with all your heart, it don't matter what storms come along. Jesus said, build your house on the rock. And if we build our relationship on Jesus Christ, no matter how awful that relationship gets, I can tell you there is no storm, there is no rain, there is no flood, there is nothing. There is nothing that can destroy your relationship. So as you grow close to God, you return to your first love. And as you return to your first love, you grow closer together. And I just need to quit. But I want to tell you this Harvard study. Good gracious. Harvard University did a study that, that those couples who read, pray together, and attend church together. Now, the divorce rate in America is around 50%, right? Or more. But they say that the couple that reads their Bible, they pray together, attend church together, their divorce rate is one out of 1,287. That's less than 1%. You know, another statistic I read not too long ago, it says that, you know, 50% of people end up in divorce, that 70% of the people that stay married are unhappy. They're unhappy in their marriage. They just stay married for the kids or they stay married for whatever reason. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So today, if you want to reclaim the romance in your relationship, go close to God. Remember, repent return. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for these moments that we have together. And Lord, I just want to pray. I hate to make it quick, Lord, but God, I just pray for every person in this room today. I pray for every relationship. I pray for that one that may be there today and has never experienced the love of Jesus Christ in their life. They've never uh, invited you to be Savior. I pray that they would open their hearts to you today, Lord. Lord, I just pray that, uh, God, that as we close out our time in worship, that you would just work a new work in our lives, in our marriages. And, Lord, I, I just want to pray. Can we just keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just for a really quick moment? You know, I know that there's some marriages in here today that are hurting, going through difficult times. There's some of you online or out in the cafe. I mean, your marriage is, you know, just not what you want it to be. You might be routine. It might be roommates. It might be one, one foot in and one foot out. And, you know, I, I just know that marriage is difficult, but I know that if we stick in there, that God has something good. You know what? We stuck in there. And I think about if we wouldn't have stuck in there, Salem Fields wouldn't exist today in the way that it exists and all that God has used us for. And I don't know what God may have in plans in store for your life, but I can tell you, stick in there and grow close to God. With all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, just real quick, Gay's going to join me here. And if you would say, you know what, buddy, my marriage, I just need you to pray for my marriage. It's routine. It's roommate. It's almost divorce court. With all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, and I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Could you just say, that's us. Would you slip up your hand and just say, pray for me, pray for our relationship? Yep. Yeah, I see your hands. I see your hands. It's painful to be in that kind of place in your life, but I'm going to pray for you and remember you in prayer. Anyone else? Just one last time. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, just pray for me. Gay's coming, and she's going to pray, and then we're going to worship together, and I, um, sorry I took so long today, but I just pray God's blessing, and Gay's going to pray that blessing upon your marriage, and on all marriages today. Father, I thank you so much that we can come to you 
Father, I thank you for what you've done in mine and Buddy's life. We truly are a witness to your power. And I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the honesty that's been shown here this morning. For those hands that were raised, God, have come before you, vulnerable, saying, truly, God, I, I need you in my life. I want to remember my first love. I want to repent of those things that have gotten in the way between me and my relationship with you, Father. Father, even I had someone this morning say they were watching online and raised their hand. Said, God, I desperately need you. I want to grow closer to you. And truly, Lord, that is the answer. As we grow closer to you, we grow closer to one another. So I pray, Father, for each hand that was raised. Maybe there were some that didn't even raise their hand but still wanted to. Father, I thank you that you will reclaim us and that you will restore us and that you will give us the power to overcome anything that wants to destroy us. And so, Father, we surrender to you here this morning. And I pray, Lord, whether we've been together as a couple for two months or 50 years, God, that you would continue to do a work inside each one of us. That we can say, yeah, this thing, it really does work because we've called on the power of Jesus Christ to reclaim us and to restore us. So, Father, as we continue to worship, I pray that you will pour out your spirit on us and that you'll do what only you can do. Thank you for that. Let's stand together and worship. <laughs> 